Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. The following program is a production of Chilling Entertainment and the creative team at Chilling Tales for Dark Nights and a proud member of the Simply Scary Podcast Network. Visit simplyscarypodcast.com to learn more about this and our other weekly storytelling programs. And become a patron today to show your support and get instant access to our extensive archive of downloadable ad-free tales of terror. Thank you for listening and enjoy the show. Today's episode of Chilling Tales for Dark Nights is proudly brought to you by Detective Trap, the brand new podcast from Wondery and the Los Angeles Times by Pretty Litter. And by Chilling Tales' very own 2019 Evil Idol Competition, our fourth annual horror voice acting competition going on now exclusively on our YouTube channel. I'll be back after each of our first two stories tonight to share a bit more information about our sponsors. Until then, settle in, get cozy, and prepare to be unsettled. The show is about to begin. <laughs> it's time to turn off the lights and turn on the dark. Chilling Tales for Dark Nights. Listening to Chilling Tales for Dark Nights. On tonight's program, we invite you to leave behind your safe reality and descend with us into the frightening depths of the most terrifying imaginations with audio adaptations of three rounds of frightening fiction about psychic sleight of hand, paranormal parties, and life changing choices. I'm your host, Steve Taylor. 
And tonight, I'll be your guide as we traverse the dimly lit corridors of your wildest imaginations. Joining us tonight to help bring our frightening fiction to life are voice talents David Nagel, Eleanor Wilson, and Luis Bermudez. All of them top-performing contestants in Chilling Tales for Dark Knight's 2019 Evil Idol Horror Voice Acting Competition. If you enjoy their performances tonight, visit our YouTube channel and vote on theirs and the other entries in the competition. The first round came to a close December 13th, but there's plenty more to come with the start of round two on December 30th. So check out our channel and join in the deliciously dark fun yet to come. Again, you can find Chilling Tales for Dark Nights and the Evil Idol competition on YouTube. Just search Chilling Tales for Dark Nights YouTube on any search engine or visit ChillingTalesForDarkNights.com and click the Evil Idol link on the navigation to see a current roster, contestant profiles, and links to all of the performances thus far. We, and the candidates, appreciate your support. Now, get your ticket ready, take your seat in our theater of the minds, and brace yourself. It's time to turn off the lights and turn on the dark. <laughs> Our first tale tonight was written by author Kevin Thomas and is voiced by Evil Idol 2019 contestant number 48, David Nagel. In it, we meet a fraud who makes his living playing make-believe. That is, until things get far too real. Without further ado, I present to you the reason I don't do cold readings anymore. I don't do cold readings anymore. I don't tell fortunes, I don't read tea leaves, and I do not do contact the other side. Look, don't judge me, all right? It was an easy gig. I mean, the first time I did it, it was a joke. I did it just to impress a girl. You've been there, right? It was something I'd read about online and I thought I'd give it a go. Cold reading. I don't need to tell you that there's no such thing as a psychic. It's just extremely convincing, educated guessing. I know, I know, if you believe in this stuff you've definitely got a story to tell me that starts, yeah, most are fake but this one time. And you'll tell me some incredibly specific thing that they couldn't possibly have known. Honestly though, if I could have been there when you got your revelatory message, you gave them everything they needed. They just connected the dots. See, people aren't desperately unique, not really. Hell, you only need 23 people before there's a 50% chance that two of them have the same birthday. You give me a crowd of 50 people and I'll find someone born in August with an important L in their life. Luck, Leeds, Louise, and I'll have everything I need. It's not hard. People like a sense of pattern in their lives. It gives them a sense of control. That's why people like conspiracy theories. It's hard to think that everything really is as shit and meaningless and random as experience would imply. When someone flies a plane into a building, it's easier to think it's just another cog in some grand scheme than face up to the fact that actually it really doesn't take all that much other than a fuck-up and a box-cutter to completely ruin everything. Similarly, when you're holding the hand of a five-year-old girl long after her long black hair has fallen out and she's looking at you for help and you can't because... Maybe it's easier to think it's just a crappy part of a bigger plan. You're both just changing lines for a bit that you're heading to the same destination. 
So look, I'm not defending myself. I'm not saying I'm not a twat in all this. I'm just saying that I never wanted to deceive people. I mean, not maliciously. I just thought I was providing a service, you know, an outlet, maybe. So when I did my cold readings, I got quite good at them. It's pretty simple, really. You're just a salesman. If you can sell a used car, you can sell a reading. It all boils down to two things. Confidence and knowing your audience. Like, all right, I'll tell you a story. One of the first times I did it was in a bar. It was a chain bar. One of those where the menu was the same in every town, and the happy hour hasn't changed since 2008. I was being introduced to a group of my girlfriend's friends, and so I was on my best behaviour. Captain Charming, you know. So when Maria, all olive skin and deep brown wavy hair, said that the women in her family always had a sort of gift for talking to the beyond, I saw a chance. So I read her. My girlfriend was 24, and they were university friends, so I guess that Maria was likely a year either side maximum. She was thus probably a child of the early 90s, young enough that likely her parents were still alive, but that she may have lost a grandparent or two. There were no rings on her fingers, so I guessed she wasn't married, and the way she was poured into that red cocktail dress pretty much counted out the chance of her being a mum. So grandparents was the way in. The most common first letter in first names are J for men and A for women. For men, this is especially useful as it takes care of all the Johns, Jameses and Jacks which have had staying power during the generations too. There's someone who wants to speak with you. Maria's eyes flicker with excitement. This is a good sign. I'm getting an A? No reaction at all from Maria. Luckily, it's an easy conversation. No, not A. It's J? Another flicker. She takes in a sharp breath. Bingo. I think it's a James or a John. John! Yes, John, my grandfather. He's here with us now. Now, most people at this point are still pretty sceptical. Maria was taking the bait with gusto. But most people would still be sat back in their chairs at this point, single eyebrow raised. Now, you've got to hit them with something a bit more personal. With grandparents, it tends to be a pretty positive relationship that you're playing on. I mean, if it's a dead partner, there can be all kinds of baggage to unpack. But dead grandparents are usually a big bag of happy memories. So that's the card you play. They're wanting to talk to grandparents. It's because they want to feel that same safeness again. First, though, got to pull them in with something that seems specific. I see him watching over you, but I see a blackness in his chest or abdomen, that kind of area. It's a fair shot, usually. Something north of 85% of deaths of men over 65 are due to some form of complication around there. But he wants you to know he's at peace, and he says that he sees you struggling with something. A choice, perhaps? He's saying that you should follow your heart and that you shouldn't worry about the money. See, that seems really personalised, but actually, when are we not toying with some kind of big choice? If it's not imminent, people are always juggling the idea of moving house or job or changing something up with their partner. And what big choice doesn't have financial implications, or moreover, who isn't worried about money literally all the time? Same as ever, feels personal but applies to everyone. Maria is almost breathless at this point and starts asking really direct questions that would expose me if I try to answer them honestly. No, he's fading. He's come back over. Boom. So that's how I got started. But then it got out of hand. See, Maria had bought the whole act. She told a friend who told a friend who told a friend. Soon I had people ringing me and texting me asking for readings. Then they started offering money. 
Well, cut a long story short, that's how I ended up on stage here, earning £2,000 for a two-night performance in the conference centre of a shitty airport hotel outside Manchester. The first night was like any other night. The venue was about third fall. I was wearing my black suit with the open-collared blue velvet shirt, very 80s Butlin's entertainer outfit. I was scanning the room for easy marks, someone clutching at jewellery or a picture. The ticket asks them to bring something belonging to the person they wish to contact, so the second you see anyone with their hands full, you know you've got a gullible mark. And there she was, nervously spinning her wedding ring with a photo resting on her lap. Dead husband. My bread and butter. I sat with her and... Well, there's a reason I don't do these anymore. I played it safe at first. I'm getting a... J. She took a deep breath and started to react. Before I could get a chance to read her reaction, another voice came from the other side of the room. It's him, came the voice. Sometimes you get someone who's a bit over-enthusiastic, someone who's so desperate to get in touch with their beloved that they'll assume that whatever voice is coming through is trying to get in touch with them, regardless of who the current mark is. It's why I stay away from sensing the letter R between the Richards and Dicks and Roberts and Bobs. Half the sodding room thinks they're being contacted. I got ready to politely ask the interrupter to sit back down. But there was nothing. No one. I turned back to the widow. She was stealing herself to get in touch with her Jay. I caught a brief glimpse of what I thought was the name Alan on the wedding photo in her lap and was ready to fix my pitch accordingly when the voice came again. This time, just a single word rang through so loud it arrived with a blinding white. Him. My eyes focused again on the widow in front of me. She was taking little shallow rasps of breath and staring at me with eyes like a startled deer. I spun round and tried to find the source of the yell, but there was no one. Did anyone else hear that? The crowd assumed it was part of the gig, simply shook their heads. Catching my breath, I tried to get back on track. No, it's... a jay. No, it's not a J, it's an A. Slam. Another bullet train of sound to the back of my mind. Him! It's him! I was knocked back a few paces, panting, beads of sweat form on my forehead. I pulled at my tie to loosen it. Please, I pleaded with the crowd. Try not to shout when the voices are coming to me. It makes it hard to concentrate. What had been amused half-smiles at what they assumed was showmanship became puzzled, silent exchanges with the people sitting near them as I asked the silent crowd for quiet. I went a third time to speak to the widow, but the voice rung out again, popping in my ears, as though it had been trapped in a bubble. Third row. Red shirt. Him. He killed me. I was still catching my breath, panting heavily. I scanned the crowd, and sure enough, there he was. Third row. Red, casual-fitted shirt that looked expensive. Short brown hair in a modern, professional cut, framing a neutral, polite smile. Light brown chinos and brown leather shoes. Arm draped round the shoulders of a nervous-looking blonde woman. I couldn't see her face as she held an unbroken look with her lap. Her hands gripped a blue velvet clutch on her knees. Her legs were pinned together with vice-like strength. Her shoulders drooped under the weight of his arm. Even as I met his eyes... He didn't let that neutral salesman grin drop. It was the grin of the man who sold the car and is going in to sell the paint job. Him. It's him. It's him. My knees cracked with the punches of the sound and I fell to the floor. I could hear the gasps in the audience. People were out of their chairs, craning their necks and crowding to see what was happening. I told you that this gig is all about salesmanship. This was me losing the pitch. They wanted enthusiasm, not seizures. 
back on my feet. The widow well at the back of my mind, I managed to rise, zombie-like, to my feet. I raised a pointed finger at Mr. Redshirt. I'm getting a voice, I croaked. I pinched the bridge of my nose and put out an arm, evangelical-style. What? What's your name? Gemma. My name is Gemma. She says her name is Gemma. Does that mean anything to you? Redshirt's grin spreads. Sorry, pal. Nothing to me, was his only reply. She's saying she knows you. Redshirt laughed. Never known a Gemma in my life. His companion raised her head at the mention of the name. Her eyes were wide and pricked with tears. Gemma's voice in my ears got louder and shriller and more panicked. I could feel my heart beat in my eyes. Soon I was simply parroting her words. She's saying... She's saying you killed her. You killed her and buried her body out the back of Bleacher's Woods by the A-55. She's saying you were waiting for her after she finished work and you came up behind her and clocked her round the head and put her in the back of your white Ford Transit. The crowd was bustling by now. This was not what they paid for. They wanted financial advice from Grandad or to know that little Robbie is happy in heaven after he came off his bike and fell under the 681 bus to Salford. Not to have some sweating charlatan shouting accusations at innocent audience members. People were grabbing their bags and starting for the doors. I couldn't stop though. By now I was just a puppet for Gemma's voice. You thought I was out cold, you fuck. But I was just barely conscious. I felt everything. I felt you tearing my clothes. I felt the way you scraped my underwear against my thighs when you were too weak to tear them off in one. I felt the dirt as it landed on my back. I heard you pat down the soil before one type of darkness gave way to the next. The steadfast grin on Red's shirt's face was back. I was alive, you bastard. Not even a hint of his grin slipping. Gemma's voice was fading like someone being dragged away in a noisy bar, her voice replaced by the din of silence. No, not yet. You have to warn her. Amy, Amy. And with that, Gemma was gone. And like a puppet with a string suddenly cut, my shaking knees buckled and I fell to all fours and emptied my guts over the worn and dirty brown carpet flooring. People were streaming out now, muttering criticisms under their breaths. Worst show ever. Macabre nonsense. I told you we should have gone to the cinema. Redshirt strong-armed his partner out of her seat and started marching towards the door. I reached out from my prone position to try and grab the hem of her skirt, but she was already out of reach, and I could barely stand. Through the sweats and the panting, I looked up to see Redshirt ushering the woman out of the door. I thought I saw tears in her eyes. In the confusion and bustle of the crowd leaving the room, I thought I saw her reach out towards me, but Redshirt had a firm grasp on her shoulder. He stared back at me, the same salesman grin on his face. And he winked. And they were gone. I stumbled to my feet, standing in my own vomit as I started towards the door. I burst into the foyer, desperate to try and find Redshirt and his crying companion, but in the bustling crowd I couldn't see either of them. I just stood there. A wave crashed through again. A final hurrah from Gemma. Useless. Complaints about my performance flooded the venue, and they were forced to cancel the second night's performance. Of course, I'd already paid for the hotel room, so spent the second evening sat at the bar, trying my best to forget about Gemma. 
I was on the third whiskey when a tail end news report caught my ear about a missing woman. The prim newsreader stated, Police appealing for witnesses in the disappearance of Amy Hochstetter, a woman from the Salford area who was last seen leaving the Keys Hotel Conference Centre with an unidentified man. She had been attending an event hosted by alleged psychic Theo Capewell, an event that she'd attended because, according to friends, she'd been hoping to contact her sister, Gemma Hochstetter, who disappeared last year. Anyone with information should contact. The rest of the report was lost to the din of the bar. Like I said, I don't do cold readings anymore. They're not cold enough. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take. Whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now, all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. I hope you enjoyed The Reason I Don't Do Cold Readings Anymore, as written by Kevin Thomas and performed by Evil Idol 2019 contestant number 48, David Nagel. Up next, we've got another tale for you. This one courtesy of author Joel R. Hunt, as performed by Evil Idol 2019 contestant number 39, Eleanor Wilson. In it, a young woman explores the truth behind the strange parties the adults in her life are attending, and bites off more than she can chew. But not more than they can. Before I proceed, however, I'd like to tell you a bit more about tonight's sponsor, Detective Trap. Detective Trap is the latest podcast from the teams at Wondery and the Los Angeles Times, hosted by award-winning journalist Chris Goford, the writer and host of the popular program Dirty John. In Chris's latest, we delve into the life of Anaheim investigator Julissa Trap, a detective who conducts herself relentlessly, fighting through her own personal struggles and society's indifference to bring a serial killer to justice. Trap's strongest resource for catching dangerous criminals? Personal experience. See, she's not like other detectives. Oh no, she's always wanted to be a cop from the time she could walk, and nowadays she's the only woman on the homicide squad, not to mention a skilled chameleon. Undercover cop and vice stings, crime scene commander, patient confidant of killers, you name it, She's got your number, and she does her job in ways some might view as, well, unconventional. Trap's a master interrogator, invoking her personal experience and deepest griefs as a tool to elicit confessions. And when a young woman's body is found at a trash-sorting plant, Trap learns the murder may be linked to three other women, all of whom vanished without a trace in nearby Santa Ana. 
a case that requires a bold, unwavering detective, like Trap, to seek justice and answers. In following the leads and her instincts, Trap embarks on a dark and often lonely journey destined to bring her face to face with a man hell-bent on taking nothing less than a piece of her soul. So what are you waiting for? Check out Detective Trap now, wherever podcasts can be found, and see what you've been missing. And while you're listening, make sure to subscribe to Detective Trap on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening right now so that you never miss an episode. You can also find the link in our episode notes. Thanks so much for your time and for listening to Detective Trap this week. And remember, when you support our sponsors, you help support this program as well. And your support means a lot to us. Now that we've helped to satisfy your craving for the mysterious with the help of Detective Trap, allow me to double your dose with another sinister story of our own, bound to leave you with more questions of your own. Our second tale tonight was written by Joel R. Hunt and is performed by Evil Idol 2019 contestant number 39, Eleanor Wilson. Without further ado, I present you... How do I take off my skin? Hello, I'm Sarah. I'm eight years old and I live in Waynesbury, which is in England. My family is Mummy, Daddy, Josh and Peter. Peter's a rabbit. He's white. I have a question I hope you can answer for me. How do I take off my skin? Please do not tell me that I'm a stupid child like the man in the shop did. I am not a stupid child. I'm the top of my class in maths and science. And teacher says asking questions is how we learn. I'd like to learn. You can give me the adult answer even if it has big words in it because I can spell big words, like photosynthesis. Photosynthesis is how plants eat their food, which is from the sun, because of light. So, I'd please like to know how to take off my skin. Josh says we should ask Mummy and Daddy, but I think that's a bad idea, because it's a secret, and Mummy wouldn't want us to know about adult secrets. Josh does not have very good ideas because Josh is only six. He can't even say photosynthesis. My friend Emily is in my class at school. We tell each other everything. I asked Emily how to take off your skin and she said you can't. Emily is wrong. I've seen it. Last week we went to a birthday party at the farm where my uncle Chris and auntie Janet live. They have a big house and lots of barns and we got to play with the animals while the adults sat outside and listened to music and had drinks. Then, we all had a barbecue and I had three whole hot dogs. Mummy said I should only have two hot dogs, but Uncle Chris gave me a third hot dog and told me it was our little secret. I didn't tell Mummy. I think it's important not to tell anyone if you've promised to keep something secret. After that, we played some games 
and then it was time to go inside because it was dark. Some of the adults stayed outside, but all of the children had to go inside in case we got lost. The farm's very big, and there are lots of places where you can go missing. You can drop down a well, or get swallowed by mud, or fall in a silo, and your parents might never find you. That's why Auntie Janet said to stay inside when it's dark. After that, we all went to bed. The adults stayed up after us and carried on drinking and talking and laughing, and I couldn't get to sleep, even though Josh and all of the other children did. Then, the adults stopped laughing. At first, I thought they'd gone to sleep too, but then I heard someone come up the stairs. They came to check if we were asleep, and I pretended to be because I didn't want to get into trouble. Then, they went back downstairs and I heard them talk very quietly, and I don't know what they said. Then, they went outside. I went to the window and looked out and all of the adults were walking towards the trees. They had torches and they weren't drinking or laughing, so I don't think it was part of the party. I got worried that maybe one of the children had gone missing. Auntie Janet had said that it was easy to get lost, so they might have all gone out to look for one of us. I checked the rooms where the children were sleeping, but they were all still there. Then, I realised they must have missed Josh when they checked on us because he was all snuggled up under his covers and you couldn't see his head. I didn't know what to do. Mummy and Daddy would be so worried because they thought Josh was lost, but he was still in bed. I decided I had to find the adults to tell them that Josh wasn't lost. I put on my wellies and found another torch and ran after them. It was very dark outside. The trees were waving and making noises and I was a little bit scared. But then... I could hear the adults ahead and I wasn't scared anymore because I knew Mummy and Daddy would make sure I was safe and they'd be so happy that Josh wasn't lost. I ran the rest of the way, but then, when I was very close to the voices, I fell over. I didn't hurt myself because it was on soft mud and leaves and I'm eight now, so I don't even cry when I fall down. But, my torch went off and rolled away so I was in the dark again. I had tripped on something soft and squishy which was on the floor. I reached down because my foot was caught in it and it felt like clothes, but warmer. There was light ahead. I could hear the crackle of a fire and the voices. I could hear Mummy and Daddy laughing. But then I heard other voices. I heard voices I didn't know, and they didn't sound like adults. They sounded like... If animals could talk. Not like in cartoons. They sounded like if a dog growls, but if the growl was words. And they laughed, but not in a happy way. I walked towards the bushes and I crept inside very quietly. 
I looked through the other side and the first thing I saw was the fire. It was very big. It was like bonfire night, except it was in a gap in the forest. It crackled and spat and I could feel the warmth on my face. Then, I saw the adults. They were dancing in such a strange way. At first, I thought they were hurt or trying to shake off their clothes. But, they were laughing, so I think they liked it. Mummy and Daddy were there, so was Uncle Chris and the others. I looked around for Auntie Janet though, and I couldn't see her. I thought it was a strange thing to do if they were here to look for Josh. They didn't seem to be looking for anything at all. Unless that was where Auntie Janet had gone. But none of them seemed worried. That was when I realised that they weren't checking our bedrooms to see if any of us were lost. They were making sure we were in bed so we didn't see this. A secret party for adults. Now I knew I'd get in trouble if they found me watching them. I started to feel around for my torch so that I could go home. I'd get lost going back in the dark, and if I couldn't find my light, then I'd have to wait for the adults to finish so that I could follow them home. Before I found the torch, I heard that animal voice again. It said, Freedom. The adults cheered. I couldn't see who was saying it because they were on the other side of the fire. The voice said, In the womb of the night be born again. It was so loud, I could feel it in my tummy. My ears rang, my fingers tingled. I didn't like it at all. Then, I saw Daddy reach inside his mouth. He held his top lip and his bottom lip. And he pulled. He pulled and he pulled and I thought his head would split in half. I nearly screamed. But instead of breaking in half, his skin peeled away like an old banana. As his mouth stretched wider and wider, Daddy's underself started to climb out. I'd never seen an underself before. I didn't know we had them. I hope mine's prettier. I don't like how they look so wet. I don't like the yellow splodges like an old toilet bowl. I don't like the bits of hair, how they come out all over the body and how they look sharp and hard and they drip. I think hair should stay on top, like our normal skin has. Daddy seemed to like it though. He stepped out of his skin and he stretched his arms wide and he yelled at the moon. It didn't sound like Daddy. It hurt my tummy again. Uncle Chris went next, and once he'd taken off his skin, he threw it away. The other adults cheered. Then, they all took theirs off, and they started to dance again, like they were angry at the fire and the trees. And most of all, like they were angry at their skins, which were dropped around at their feet and trampled into the mud. Only Mummy hadn't taken off her skin. I started to think that she couldn't, like me. But then, Daddy walked over to her. He raised his hand to her face and I saw that his fingers were sharp now, like 
a claw, but Mummy didn't pull away. She closed her eyes and whispered to him. Then, he reached into her mouth and he pulled her face away. Mummy's underself looked just like Daddy's. They ran their claws along each other. They looked into each other's eyes. Then, they howled. All of them howled. I couldn't stand that noise. It was too loud and it shook inside my head and it made my chest feel so small that I couldn't breathe. I knew I'd get lost if I left the bush, but I couldn't stay hidden with all that horrible sound. I ran. I ran and I ran and I ran and I didn't know how long I was running. I just knew I needed to run away from their howls and their screams and their laughter. Somehow, I got back to the farmhouse. I went back inside and I went to bed and I pretended to go to sleep. But I couldn't. I kept thinking about how the adults took off their skin. I didn't know we could do that. Early the next morning, they came home. I think I was the only child who heard them get back. I thought all of the adults might still be their underselves, but a little time later, Uncle Chris knocked on the door and he put his head in the room. It had his skin on. Rise and shine, sleepyheads, he said. I thought about asking him about the adult party, but I was scared I'd get into trouble because I didn't think I should have seen it. Instead, I went downstairs. Everyone was having breakfast and the adults seemed very cheerful and awake, even though I knew they hadn't been to sleep. They were looking at each other and smiling. Did you have a nice night? Asked Auntie Janet. The other children said yes and got their cereal and toast. I sat at the table with my bowl, but I hadn't got anything in it. I wasn't hungry. I think Mummy knew something was wrong because she looked at me funny. Did you sleep well? She asked me. I know it's wrong to lie, but I did. I said I'd slept very well and I'd dreamt of unicorns and I rode one and his name was Peter, like our rabbit. I don't think Mummy believed me. She didn't say so, but she kept watching me until I had a slice of toast to make her think I was alright. Soon, Josh distracted her by spilling his drink all over the floor and after that, the morning was a bit more normal. All of that was a week ago. Since then, I've not slept very well at all. When I'm in the bathroom getting ready for bed, I practice taking off my skin, but it doesn't work. I don't know how they did it. Then... Every night I dream about the underselves and how everyone else takes off their skin but I can't and I'm hiding in that bush and they're calling for me to come out in their animal voices but I'm scared to come out. In my dream it feels like the underselves want to hurt me. They sound so hungry with their growl voices and I know that if I can't take off my skin they'll take it off for me. I wake up crying sometimes. 
Mummy has asked me a lot of questions about why I am upset. She asks me if something happened at the farm, and I tell her, no. She asks me if I've told anyone about that day, and I tell her, no. I don't want to tell her about what I saw. I'd like it to stay a secret. If she found out that I'd snuck out, she'd be very mad. And if everyone knew I couldn't take off my skin, I'd be so embarrassed. I am eight now. I should be ready to do adult things. I'm specially nervous because mummy has said that Uncle Chris wants us back at the farm soon. Not the other children. Not even Josh. Just mummy, daddy, and me. I think they might have another adult party. Please, tell me how to take off my skin. Please. I'd really like to impress them. I hope you enjoyed How Do I Take Off My Skin? As written by Joel R. Hunt and performed by Evil Idol 2019 contestant number 39, Eleanor Wilson. Up next, we've got one final terrifying tale for you from author Lucretia Vestia, as performed by Evil Idol 2019 contestant number 7, Luis Bermudez. In it, a dad is faced with an impossible decision when he unexpectedly becomes the father of twins, each vying for his affection in an unsettling game. Before we proceed, however, I'd like to tell you a little bit more about tonight's second sponsor, Pretty Litter and a special offer they have for those of you listening in tonight. Oh, it's winter, and we all know what that means. Hiding out during the long, cold months. And for most of us, that means a whole lot of downtime at home. And if you're a cat owner like me, you might be apprehensive about being within no shot of a litter box for hours on end, especially when it's due for a refresh. But I've got nothing to worry about now, and neither will you, thanks to... Pretty Litter. With Pretty Litter, I have odorless litter delivered right to my door. The director of the show, Craig, and our longtime voice talent, Otis Jiry, both have cats, and they've both enjoyed the companionship of furry feline friends since they were kids. But they also know how much of a hassle it is to keep a home clean and tidy with cats around. But Craig and Otis both agree, Pretty Litter changes everything about one of the worst parts of the job cleaning up after the lovable furballs in our lives. If you've ever owned cats and had the misfortune of having the litter get oversaturated and don't have time to run to the store at the last minute to get some fresh litter after finding out you're out, you'll know how unbearable the smell can get and how heavy traditional cat litter is. If you didn't have back problems before having a cat, you just might afterwards. If you're using old-fashioned clay litter, Craig and Otis would have to agree the best part about Pretty Litter, though the delivery is great, is the odor control and the ease of cleanup, all without the back-breaking weight of traditional litter. Pretty Litter looks cool, keeps your home smelling great, and discourages waste, and it'll save you a trip to the store and the chiropractor. <laughs> Pretty Litter is kitty litter reinvented. Unlike traditional litter, Pretty Litter's super light crystals trap odor and release moisture resulting in dry, low-maintenance litter that doesn't smell. And Pretty Litter is virtually dust-free because it's manufactured with a special de-dusting process, 
Less dust and no fuss. Pretty Litter also spares every cat owner's sanity and storage space. It's shipped in a small, lightweight bag that lasts an entire month. No more bulky containers or frequent trips to the store. Who wants to run to the store and lug home 20 to 40 pound buckets of clay and have to find some place to store several canisters of it because it takes so much of it to keep a litter box functional? Not me! And definitely not in the winter, when roads are often terrible and it gets dark at 2 o'clock in the afternoon. So save yourself the mileage, the hassle, and the unfortunate smell of oversaturated traditional litter and stock up on Pretty Litter. Now, I've said a lot of great things about what makes Pretty Litter the obvious choice over other types of litter, but above all else, here is why Pretty Litter is a pet parent's hero. It's a health indicator. You heard me right. Pretty Litter monitors your cat's health by changing colors when it detects potential underlying issues. You won't find that kind of innovation in conventional litter. The sad truth is you can't change the weather or do much about your cat's, shall we say, natural odor. (laughs) But you can change your kitty litter. Make the switch like Craig and Otis did today. Go to prettylitter.com and use promo code CTFDN for 20% off your first order. That's prettylitter.com, promo code CTFDN. Be sure to use that code to let them know that we sent you. And remember, supporting our sponsors helps support this show. And your support means everything to us. For the cat owners in our audience today, thanks so much for giving Pretty Litter a try today. And for our dog owners... Well, just be glad your pet doesn't poop in your house. (laughs) Now that we've shared the secret to a happy cat, allow me to give the horror lover in you something to smile about, too, with one final chilling tale. From author Lucretia Vestia, as performed by Evil Idol 2019 contestant number 7, Luis Bermudez, comes our third and final tale of terror tonight. Without further ado, I present to you, Joe Made a Choice. All Joe Jenkins wanted was to go to bed. Work had been tough on him, and lunch hardly edible. Not to mention his car's CD player, yes, CD player, was broken and no radio station was playing Alice in Chains on a loop like he would have liked. All Joe Jenkins wished for at that moment in time was to lay down and cuddle to his sleeping wife right after tucking Josephine in. Professional letdowns aside, it went his fairy tale perfect as it did every evening. Joe would enter his daughter's room, would chat a little about how her day went, then kiss her on the forehead and wish her pleasant dreams. Those almond-shaped green eyes were his entire world, and neither a stressful day at work nor a speeding ticket would stop Joe from giving his baby girl her goodnight kiss. Daddy, I think there's something under my bed. It was the same as every night. Joe was getting a little tired of it, but even so, he was her hero. So, he did what every hero would have done and got on his knees. There's nothing for you to worry, honey. There's nothing under... And there she was. From under the bed... His frightened little girl whispered with teary green eyes. Daddy, I think there's something on my bed. All Joe Jenkins asked for was for a quiet, peaceful good night's sleep. He knew that website well, the website where 
all the world's shortest horror stories were posted. Being the bored security guard he was, he would always indulge in those stories during work. What else was he to do, except scanning IDs and taking good looks at the twenty or so individuals going in and out of the office building for the entirety of his ten-hour shift? Reading short horror stories was a good way to pass the time, and funny enough, this scenario was exactly one of them. The thing is, the author of that particular story never wrote what was to happen after the parent gets up. Joe Jenkins felt all the liquid in his body boil. He had no choice, however. Joe was a skeptic to the bone, but not even the mind of a skeptic is immune to a hypothesis. Joe felt like he was risking being eaten alive as he lifted his upper body to look on the bed again. All of his 180 pounds of muscle shook in the process, but no. No monster in sight, just his beautiful little Josie waiting for him to tell her that everything's fine, that nobody's there. Joe was still shaking. What the hell was going on? Was his mind playing tricks on him? He ducked down and looked under the bed anew. Can I come out now, Daddy? It's cold down here. His heart was breaking seeing her that way. But what was he to do? When's your birthday? Both girls answered simultaneously. 18th of May? 18th of May? Joe cursed under his breath. If this was a dream, it was time to wake up. But this couldn't have been a dream. He could remember everything that happened prior that day, and the picture before him was not milky at the edges as dreams usually are. This was real. A real nightmare. Come out of there, baby. The baby part slipped out involuntarily. How could he tell which one was his real baby? They were absolutely identical. Josie let out a high-pitched yell when she saw another Josie rise from underneath her bed. It's all right, honey, Joe assured her. Daddy's here. There's no need for you to be scared. Sit up, please. She did as she was told, never taking her gaze off her doppelganger. Josie from under the bed hid behind her father with the self-composure of a deer in the middle of a wolf gathering. It's all right. It's okay. This is... It's just a misunderstanding. Joe's mind was wheeling. Go take a seat next to her, please. Both Josies began to protest lively as tears swelled up their irises. Neither of them wanted to approach the other. Quiet! Go sit over there. I need to think. The girls went silent, even though their quiet sobs would escape from between their lips as the distance between them got smaller. The Josie on the bed grabbed the headboard as if her life depended on it. The other Josie approached the bed very warily and sat down so far from the other that she would have fallen off the bed if her feet weren't supporting her from the floor. Both girls were staring daggers into the other, the amount of fear in their eyes undeniable and identically genuine. Joe Jenkins looked at the one on the right and the one on the left. He got closer and looked at the one on the left and then at the one on the right. He was a security guard for Pete's sake. Weird noises coming from the office building when everybody else was gone never scared him with this. This was on a whole different level. There was no denying it. One of them was the real Josephine and the other one an otherworldly imposter. Which was which, however, he couldn't tell. 
and it was shattering him into millions of pieces. What kind of a father couldn't tell his beloved child from a fake? Not him. He'll be able to tell which is which in no time. Josie? Both Josies looked his way expectantly. One of you is telling the truth. The other one is lying. Joe saw this in a cartoon once. He thought the trick was brilliant, even though he never imagined he'd need it in real life. If you were the other, which one would you say is the real Josie? The two girls exchanged a glance, then looked at their father, dead, determined to prove to him that the other one is the liar. She would say that she's the real Josie. So would she, Daddy. She would say she's the real Josie. Joe bit the inside of his cheek. Of course it didn't work, and it was stupid of him to believe that it would. Please, scooch closer to each other. The hurricane of cried-out no's would have been enough to wake Jane up, but his wife was the last thing on his mind at the moment. Girls, I'm losing my nerve here. Either you get closer to each other, or I'm leaving the room and turning the light off on my way out. The two girls went silent and scooched next to each other so fast the bedsheet almost caught fire. Joe crouched in front of them. Everything about the two girls was identical. Even the thin streak of blonde hair and the long, straight, light brown mane. Even the two small yellow dots in their left eyes. Please show me your knees. Both girls lifted their nighties above their knees. Good lord. It was there, on both of them. A deep purple spot in the shape of a whale on their right knees. It was from last week, when Josie practiced riding her new bike without the helping wheels and went straight into the mailbox. I need to see your left shoulders. The girls complied. And there it was again. Two identical scars from the vaccination right after birth. Open your mouths and stick out your tongues. And so they did, and funny enough, Joe was deeply disappointed to see no pool of never-ending darkness in either cavity. The insides of their mouths were perfectly identical. Tongue, throat, straight milk-white teeth. Jesus. Even their left canines were slightly bent in the same direction. He grabbed his daughter on the left and glued his ear to her chest. A scared little heart beating rapidly. He grabbed the one on the right and repeated the process, a little heart beating just as fast and just as frightened as the other one. Joe was desperate and frustrated and so scared he debated with himself if he should ask Jane if she hid the existence of Josie's twin from him or something. It was crazy, but so was the picture before him. That's it. I'm getting your mother. And just as he got up and took two steps towards the door, I can prove I'm the real Josie, Daddy. His daughter on the right got to her feet, shivering. The one on the left seemed less scared and more curious. Joe looked straight in the eyes of the one who spoke. How? Last week, I asked you to keep a secret for me. A secret only you and me know. Josie on the left went googly-eyed. It was true. Josie told Joe a week before that she will never go to college. Ever. She told him that when she grows up, 
she'll be perfectly happy with working at the 7-Eleven at the end of their street, and that now that he knows this, he and Mommy can stop fighting about money. What Josie didn't know is that Joe had already told this secret to Jane. It had been a long conversation. They laughed about it, cried about it, and apologized to each other for always arguing about finances. Best sex Joe ever had. And just as he was about to grab his daughter on the right and drag her away from the abomination on the left, left Josie, blurted out the entirety of the secret Josie on the right had in mind. Great. Back to square one. Don't trust her, Daddy. I'm the real Josie. This better be good, Joe heard himself whisper, sounding like a gang leader who had listened to excuses from new recruits. When I was four, I got really sick after you let me eat a whole carton of ice cream. You threw the box away before Mom got home and told her you didn't know what happened. Joe froze. He had no idea that she still remembered that. She was half her current age and out cold for the better part of two days. That's nothing, the other Josie yelled, standing up to prove a point. How about the time we went to the park and you started chatting to a friend and that man almost took me away? Joe's jaw almost fell to the ground. How the hell could she remember that? She could barely walk when that happened. Both Josies were on the verge of crying. That one doesn't matter. You once carried me on one arm and talked on the phone with the other. I saw an orange butterfly, went to grab it, and you dropped me on the kitchen floor. Joe clasped his hands over his ears. No, no, no. She did not remember that. How is that even possible? Shh. She was just a baby. Not even five months old. It was the very first time Joe had to take care of baby Josephine all by herself while Jane ran her errands. He was on the phone with his wife to remind her that they were out of rice. He'd even forgotten that the butterfly was orange. But he remembered it now. Clear as day. It was bright and pretty. And the baby squealed in delight as she reached out to grab it. Yeah, honey, everything's fine. The baby fell head first on the cold tiles from a five-foot height. Joe, what the hell was that? Jane's mechanical voice was nothing compared to his beating heart. The world was suddenly so loud and yet so still as he looked into the blank, empty eyes of his baby lying on the kitchen floor. It felt like looking into plasticized cardboard, shiny and dead. But then she blinked once. Then twice, then opened her mouth and wailed louder than a police siren. It was the first and last time he was happy to hear her cry. Stop. No more. I don't want to hear more, all right? He was breathing heavily. The girls exchanged looks again. They weren't afraid of each other anymore. It was worse. They were angry with each other. The look on their faces said murder, and it terrified Joe to no end. It's okay, loves. I believe you. You don't have to fight. You're both daddy's little girls. You're both my darlings, little Josie. And we'll be a very happy family. I'll talk to your mother, and... No! The Josie on the left trampled with her feet on the floor. Something she always did when she didn't agree with her parents on something. I'm the real one, Daddy, said Josie on the right from between quivering lips. That always happened when she was upset. 
she had it from her mother. Both of them were approaching him with tight fists and sunken eyebrows. How about the time you hit the homeless old man and kept driving like nothing ever happened? Joe started weeping. The other Josie pushed the one that just spoke to the side with her shoulder. How about the time when you pushed Stephanie down the stairs and made her lose my older brother? Please, stop. Both occurrences happened before Josie was even born. He hit the homeless man on the way to the hospital. Jane was in labor with his princess. He had no other choice. Stephanie, though. He was desperate. He'd been married to Jane for a few months, and she was becoming dull and dry, and Joe wasn't used to the merry life, and for God's sake, he slipped. It happens to every man. It wasn't out of love. It wasn't even out of need. It was just for the exhilaration of change, even if for five minutes. It wasn't his fault that the dumb bitch lied about taking the pill anyway. No, 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 Josie. You were not allowed to tell your mother that. Something sparkled in both Josie's eyes. They threw each other a cautious glance and then looked at Daddy in slow motion. If you don't choose me, I'll tell Mommy about Stephanie. Josie's room seemed to darken and close in on Joe in a promise of eternal suffocation. Joe fell to his knees. The other Josie spoke. If you don't choose me, I'll tell Mommy, Grandma, Grandpa, and everybody from the office about spicy studies. The room was choking Joe. He couldn't breathe. How in the world could Josie know about spicy studies? That was supposed to be an even better sealed secret than him killing his unborn child and crippling his former mistress for life. Back in college, Joe's brilliant idea for easy money had been a porn site. As its name suggested, the protagonists had all been kids in his year or younger who, both with and without consent, needed spiked drinks before participating. Jane thought Joe finished college with flying colors, but Joe got expelled after just three semesters for ruining 43 young and promising lives. That number not including the members of the actors' families. Joe's head was in his hands. He was struggling to breathe. He wanted to turn deaf then and there to stop hearing all the dreadful truths his doubled little girl spilled out on him. Like destructive fires of reckoning. He wanted her to stop. Involuntary images of him choosing one of them and choking the other to death popped into his head and he knew. He knew that if he wanted to go through with it, he would have to hurry. His little Josephines had already opened Pandora's box. Hell, he did more than that. They were swimming in it and throwing its contents all over the place. But Joe's Pandora's box had a false base. And if Joe wanted to proceed with the murderous plot, he would need to hustle before one of them found it. And if you don't choose me, I'll tell everybody that it wasn't sudden unexpected infant death when baby auntie died. They discovered the fake bottom. It was over. Joe's biggest, darkest secret was not only one he kept from the world, but one he kept from himself. He looked up at the girls, his face wet with salty eye water, feeling infinitely inferior to the two all-knowing eight-year-olds. Joe wasn't a 39-year-old anymore. He was a seven-year-old boy 
watching the slow rise and fall of his sleeping baby sister's chest, wondering what would happen if he'd just put his teddy bear on her face for a couple of seconds. His mother called for him and the seconds turned to minutes. He didn't check the rise and fall of her chest again when he went back for the teddy, so when the doctor diagnosed her passing as a case of sudden, unexpected infant death, who was he to argue? Little Joe. Pathetic little Joe. Sorry, little murderous Joe looked up at the two girls and was back to his guilty, bloody-handed, seven-year-old self again. Julie? Is that... you? Not one, but both Josies answered him by smiling and holding hands. Joe was less than human then. Girls, he wept. Julie, Josie, I don't understand what you want from me. Their voices were even and unrelenting. Choose. The hope of his future and the dread of his past were mirroring each other before him. He had to make a decision. But how could he? Ignorance only postpones doom and regret is not enough to be forgiven. He couldn't choose. So Joe did the only thing he could do. He got up, turned around, and entered his nuptial bedroom. Jane was sleeping soundly, oblivious to the worlds colliding in her daughter's bedroom. Joe didn't even shoot her a final glance. He went straight for his ties drawer and picked one. It wasn't his favorite, but it didn't matter. The girls looked his way and followed him with their eyes as he entered the bathroom, always holding hands, never letting go of each other. Joe tied the tie neatly around his neck and knotted the other end around his toothbrush. He didn't know if it would hold, but he was dying to try. Literally. Joe grabbed Josie's plastic ladder for brushing teeth, placed it next to the open door, threw his tie on the other side, closed the door, and yanked the ladder from underneath his feet. The toothbrush held. Ironically enough, it held just enough for Joe to let out his dying breath. It snapped not even ten seconds afterwards, and Joe's lifeless body fell to the bathroom tiles. The girls knew he was gone even before the toothbrush gave in. Still holding hands, they turned to Josie's bedroom and hid under the bed where they both belonged. Neither of them was the real Josie. The real Josie was sleeping in her parents' bed, hidden in the covers and her mother's arms, the place she always turned to when the monsters under her bed were upsetting her. But that wasn't Joe's concern anymore. Joe already made his choice. I hope you enjoyed Joe Made a Choice, as written by author Lucretia Vestia, and performed by Evil Idol 2019 contestant number 7, Luis Bermudez. 
Don't forget, all of tonight's performances were featured during this year's 2019 Evil Idol Horror Voice Acting Competition. Hosted on our official Chilling Tales for Dark Nights YouTube channel now and running for the next several months. If you enjoyed the performances tonight, visit our YouTube channel and vote on theirs and the other entries in the competition. Again, you can find Chilling Tales for Dark Nights and the Evil Idol competition on YouTube. Just search Chilling Tales for Dark Nights YouTube on any search engine or visit ChillingTalesForDarkNights.com and click on the Evil Idol link on the navigation to see a current roster, contestant profiles, and links to all of the performances thus far. We, and the candidates, appreciate your support. We'd like to also remind you to take a moment to stop by our iTunes page and leave us a five-star review and a kind word, and to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And of course, subscribe to us on YouTube, where you can find an archive of our work going back to 2012. And consider signing up as a patron at our website, ChillingTalesForDarkNights.com, to show your support and get all of our content ad-free. Finally, thanks again to today's sponsors, Detective Trap and Pretty Litter, for their support of this show. Don't forget, you can subscribe to Detective Trap on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening right now so that you never miss an episode. You can also find the link in our episode notes. And finally, as a reminder, you can make the switch to Pretty Litter today and get 20% off your first order. Just visit prettylitter.com and use promo code CTFDN for 20% off your first order. Once again, that's prettylitter.com, promo code CTFDN. Thanks again for giving our sponsors a try this month and for your support of this show. Segment final sign-off. I'm your host, Steve Taylor, and it's been a pleasure as always. I'm so glad you were able to join us tonight. Tune in again next week when we once again turn off the lights and turn on the dark. <laughs> Sweet dreams, listener. Sweet dreams. Thanks for joining us. You've been listening to Chilling Tales for Dark Nights, a production of Chilling Entertainment and a proud member of the Simply Scary Podcasts Network. Visit simplyscarypodcast.com today to learn more about our network and our other amazing storytelling programs. Tonight's program was hosted by yours truly, Steve Taylor. Selected stories have been adapted with the kind permission of their respective authors. Original music provided by Luke Hodgkinson and Jesse Cornett. Sound design and final mixing and mastering by executive producer and director Craig Groshek. Logo by Craig Groshek. Got a scary tale of your own that you'd like performed? We take submissions. Email it to us today at submissions at chillingtalesfordarknights.com to have your terrifying tome considered for production in a future episode of this show. If you enjoyed what you heard on tonight's program and are joining us on your favorite podcast app, subscribe to us to be sure you never miss an episode and leave us a five-star review and a comment. Your feedback means a lot to us. You can also follow Chilling Tales for Dark Nights and yours truly on Facebook to connect anytime and get the latest updates on this and other programs and my channel. If you're listening on the Chilling Tales for Dark Nights YouTube channel, do us a favor and hit the subscribe button and the bell notification icon for CTFDN as well to get more spooky tales from me and the crew each and every week. And don't forget to hit that thumbs up button to tell us how we're doing and leave a kind word or a request. 
And don't forget to visit us at ChillingTalesForDarkNights.com and consider supporting the team by becoming a patron. In addition to helping us out, you'll get exclusive access to our audio archive and ad-free downloads of all your favorite stories, including those you've heard on this program. We'll be back next week with more terrifying tales to keep you up all night. But that's all right. Who needs sleep anyway? <laughs> Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com.